Well, bless God, praise the Lord. We, when you really break it down, we, uh, we belong to God twice. We belong to God twice. We belong to him first by creation, then by redemption and what he did for us on Calvary when he died on the cross and paid the price that we were supposed to pay. God bought back what he already owned. It's interesting. We recently talked about, Brother Brother Foster did, about faithfulness in finances. But really, when you say stewardship, stewardship would automatically go to money. Stewardship's a lot more than money. And by the way, if you need a handout, raise your hand and Brother Caesar will get you one. If you're listening online, you need a handout, just email us at info at refugechurchonline.com. But coming soon is our app where the PDFs will just be right there too. So it'll be beautiful. But... Stewardship is, is it's management of our entire lives, our time, our talent, our treasure. Time is life. It's both irreversible and irreplaceable. To waste your time is to waste your life. But to master your time is to master your life and to gain the most from it. This means so you, during a lifetime, we are given approximately 80,000 working hours within 10,000 working days. How many of you excited to think about working your job for 80,000 hours? I am. I think only two hands went up. (laughs) This means that a Christian success or failure is decreed by the ticking of the clock. A wise steward recognizes the importance of time. The book of Psalms records a prayer made by Moses when he said in Psalm 90 and 12, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Tonight, I want to teach on this topic, time, talent, and ministry. Time, talent, and ministry. Lord, God, thank you so much for what you have done, what you are doing, what you're getting ready to do. We have a great weekend coming up at Fall Fest, Youth Weekend, Children's Ministry Services. So many exciting things, Lord, where people are going to feel your power and presence. But Lord, we're thankful for tonight. We're thankful that we get a chance to come together and open your word and study things that can apply to our lives and make us, Lord Jesus, more what you want us to be, Lord, if we will respond to the words that we hear. So open our hearts and minds, anoint me as I speak in the name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, amen. See, scripture repeatedly reminds us that time's limited. And I give you several several references in your handouts that I, I won't go over all those references, but Christ was constantly aware of the importance of time management. This consciousness helped him set goals in his earthly mission. John 9, 4 said, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Even Jesus is talking about how time is limited and what he was trying to accomplish as God manifest in flesh. There's no such thing as a lack of time. I know we've all said it. Every single one of us has said, I just ran out of time. I don't have time. I, I, I just, there's not much time on the docket. How many of you, of you have ever felt stressed for time? All right. Since we all have, but we, we all have an adequate amount of time. Since we all have 168 hours per week, our job is learning how to use those hours more effectively. Each man, woman, and child has been entrusted with an equal portion of time each day. It really is a gift. You think about it. This is a gift of what I've been given for today. It's a gift of what I'm going to be given for tomorrow. And God is quite interested in how our time is used because it indicates our priorities. You've heard me say it. I say it again. If you want to know where your priorities are, you look at the two things that people always say that they never have enough of, time and money. Where do you spend your money? Where do you invest or spend your time? That is what your priority is. So, and and I say investing or spending. Are you investing or spending time? I spent my time doing this. That's typically what people say, but spending is final. Investment produces profit. What will you do tomorrow? Will you go to school, go to work, play games, read a book, visit friends, watch TV, sleep late, go shopping? Some of those things are productive. Others are worthless. These activities could keep us busy for weeks and months, and life is a continual demand for action required from teachers, bosses, parents, children. If you're a parent of young kids, I can attest, the minute you think, I have a little time to myself, 
I have three kids, and, and, I, and my wife could preach this better than me. But the minute you think, oh, I got a little time to myself with three kids, that does not last long. Because if I sit down on the floor, all three of my kids think the only reason that I've sat down on that floor is to play with them. And which is great. I love those moments. But those are times that you're spending, you're investing. What are you doing? How can you prioritize your time more effectively? Analyze how you spend your time right now. If we began to look at a docket and say, hey, how did I spend the last little bit of my life? It's kind of like, this is what's really interesting. The two things that people say that they don't have enough of, time and money, but yet they indicate priorities. Yet it's interesting, and I'm not teaching a lesson on finances, the, the majority of the American general public doesn't even live on a budget. So we know how much we get paid, but we have no clue really what goes where. I know I, we usually spend about this much on cell phone and this much on our mortgage. And, but then like if we were to write it all down on paper, you would be shocked and go, we spend that much a month going out to eat? We spend that much amount of, of, on clothing. And so it's the same thing with time. That sometimes we just do things. We're like, hey, you know, I prayed this morning. I spent some time in the Word. And, oh, yeah, I did a little bit of this. Watched a little entertainment. Went for a walk. Exercised a little bit. And if you wrote all those things down and you saw the way you spent your day, I think it'd be a lot like the budget where you'd have some shocking moments of going, Whoa. I spent that much time doing that and only that much time doing that. Like, I think there would be some surprises there for all of us. And so in order to really fix something, sometimes we have to step back and say, okay, I got to analyze the way I'm doing it. And then we can consider making changes. Because remember, there's always, there's always time and money for the important things. Ephesians 5.16 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. As I said, Jesus Christ is very interested in what we're doing. In his parable of the talents, he stressed the importance of involving ourselves in worthwhile productivity and activity. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is a, man, is, is a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. See, this is a parable, yes, and, and one doubles, and one buries it and says, uh, uh, and he says, you're going to go to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But ultimately, at the, the essence, the, the, the foundation of this story is what? Every born-again believer has been given talent, ability, or a gift that can be wholly utilized for God. So if you say, well, I just don't have any gift, you're wrong. I truly believe you are wrong. Every single member of the body of Christ has at least one gift that he or she can use for the kingdom. One person agrees. That's wonderful. <laughs> Talents are given for a twofold purpose. First, they're to be used for the work of the gospel. Second, they provide a skill or a trade for livelihood. The same God-given talent that supplies food and shelter for a family can also be channeled into the work of, a Lord, of the Lord. I'll give you a great example. An auto mechanic can maintain church vans. We got a church van, and there just so happens to be an auto mechanic that goes to this church. And that person says, hey, I ain't, I'm not charging you any labor. Just give me the money for the parts. I said, bro, you don't have to do that. But Noah is working on this van because he says, you know what? I'm not going to take some from the church. I want to invest something in the church. And I, and I give him kudos for that, and he's going to hit me later for embarrassing him. But an architect can design a church building. A, a salesperson can use his or her talent for the kingdom of God. See, 1 Corinthians 12, 18, But now hath God set the members of every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. Uh, verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. So God set us together, and we're members of something that is, you think about the body, and 
you can't just say, well, the brain just wants to be by itself. The heart doesn't want to get along with the brain. The fingers belong over here. I don't need the toes. Listen, you look at one small thing. Just look at these two fingers. You're like, this, in the scope of things, this doesn't really matter. But then imagine trying to play basketball, to tie shoes, to do things, missing fingers. Imagine trying to keep your balance, missing so your, your two small toes on the right side. I mean, so every single part of our body plays a role. And so if we're compared to the body of Christ, it's a trick from the devil when we start to say, you know what, I'm not, I don't mean anything to the body. That's not the case. When you feel that, you need to say, in the name of Jesus, I cast that, I cast that thought out of my head right now because I know I am vital. I know who I am in Christ. And so you are a member and you have a special function to perform. Now let's find it. God did not die on a cross, shed blood for you, have you go into the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus, receive the Spirit of God to have you sit on a padded pew and enjoy sermons twice a week. And I'm pleased to, I'm pleased. See, teaching messages like this are so great because it, it protects the culture of the church. Sometimes churches have to preach a message like this, and they're trying to change the culture of the church. I'm thrilled to tell you I'm teaching this message protecting the culture of the church. We do an incredible job with this. The last time I checked, and I know it's higher now, but do you know that out of everybody age 16 and over, of reg- not people that come once a quarter, but of regularly attending refuge members, do you know that we're close to 80% of those people are involved in some form of active ministry? That's inc- that is wonderful. Why? Because we believe in offering hope, serving others, giving generously. We, we, we've got that. But we've got to make sure that we continue... To, to say, hey, I, I know what's a priority. I make it a priority. I serve. I have a vision outside myself. And so I, I, I say I preach this really and teach this to just in, reinforce what we already do. And now, if you're here and you say, well, I'm not really in any form of ministry. I don't, I don't really do these things. Well, hey, it's a great time to get involved. You're going to have a chance. But some people say, I don't have any ability. Yes, you do. Don't allow fear or being timid to steal your blessing of service. The dominating factor in the life of a truly humble person is not self-consciousness, it's God-consciousness. Even a dreadfully shy person. If you're dreadfully shy like me, you know what I'm saying? You can still find something in the kingdom. Of course, I'm joking. I have a big mouth. But even a shy person, you... Don't think of ministry as just the person who grabs a microphone and stands in the pulpit. There are so many different areas in which someone can serve inside the four walls and outside the four walls. And so the Apostle Paul, he was a good model of humility and stewardship. He acknowledged his abilities and he used them to the fullest potential. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles. I read that and I'm like, who does this guy? Are you kidding me? guy's probably the greatest man to live, practically walking shoe leather. He says, that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Uh, that's a whole other message. Talk about still, still trying to get over some things in your past. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I could, again, I could just stop and preach on that statement. How many of you can... How many of you can just, that brings a smile on your face when you just read that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Why would he say that? Because God didn't give his grace just to sit down and do nothing with it. Hey, God didn't waste his grace on me. I'm fixing to do something with it. But I labored more abundantly. What's he talking about? God didn't give grace in vain, but he connected those thoughts. No, I'm out laboring more abundantly than than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that's in me. He's connecting God's grace with getting up and doing something with it. 
Because of the cruel deeds, he didn't consider himself worthy of apostleship, but he recognized that God had entrusted him with abilities and power to perform the duties of the high office he was called to. Humbly, he he purposed in his heart to minister to those duties assigned to him, and with the power of Christ working within him, he could accomplish extraordinary things for God, and he did. Philippians 4.13, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. God doesn't base the level of his calling and anointing on how much you did or did not mess up in your past. To whom much is given, much is required. If you're sitting here saying, but you don't know my past. Hey, if your past is that dark and dirty and messed up, you're here. What, a, what an incredible testimony. What a great testimony. It's okay to clap on Wednesday night. You kinda, it kind of starts off scared. Just go ahead. Just take a moment right now and clap as loud as you can. <laughs> Woo! It's Wednesday night and we're clapping. It's all right. I'm comfortable. You're comfortable. We're good. Here are three qualities each Christian needs to develop. Number one, be willing. <laughs> people say, well, I'm just, you know, sometimes the people that are going, God, just use me. I just want to be used by God. And then when the church uses them, they say, I just feel used by the church. <laughs> You're kind of like, well, that kind of was what you were praying. I mean... It's all on how you view it. Are you used or are you serving? Because if you feel like you're being used, you probably don't have the right mindset. And it might be time to take a break from something because I don't ever want you to feel like you're involved in something that you're just doing it because someone asked you to do it. We're very passionate here about helping you find the area in which you are passionate. Even if we had a need, you know, hey, Sister Ginger one time did a magnificent job getting up and casting the vision for a nursery. And she said, if you want, here's this need, but we want people who love kids. Okay, so we don't just say we just need volunteers. You know, if you're a Christian, you just need to sign up. And sometimes people in churches might do that. And, and it's effective in, in that moment because someone signs up just because they love God and they, and they just want to help. But if you're not if that's not your area of gifting and calling, that's not where you belong. So we'll, we'll invite someone to be a part of something. But even this, you'll hear that we have trial runs with ministries where people can say, hey, I want to fill out, I want to sign up for three ministries and I want to just give it a trial run. See if I like it. You know what? I want to try audio visual. And so Brother Michael contacts you and you get together with them and you go for three times and you just say, you know what? Bro, this is not my thing. We don't say, no, 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 you signed up. Uh-uh, there ain't no getting out now. It's like a gang in the world. <laughs> okay, no, you just say, hey, it works. Hey, thanks for giving a shot. Try something else. We just want to make sure you find your area of gifting. And it's not because, hear me, this is not because we need some help around here. I mean, I kind of said that about Saturday. Saturday is a little different, okay? Y'all need to be here, all right? But I'm just talking about regular set ministries. You know, not those like, hey, it's a church work day, it's Saturday, I'm gonna make you feel guilty so you come. No, but no. I'm talking about regular church ministries that 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 we we want you to be a part of. And it's not just because we just really need help, you know. Please, we're just trying to do something around the church. Will you please help? Honestly, this is a lot more for you than it is for us. There is something to be said about someone that says, I'm not just going to sit on a pew. I've got to find my area where, hey, do you know in Israel, the Dead Sea? Do you know why it's dead? Because there's no outflow. Everything comes in and it's so salty that nothing can live in the Dead Sea. And, and it's because there's nothing that goes out. And so if we're sitting here and all we're doing is consuming, but never letting it flow back out into someone else in some other form of ministry, you're actually going to die at some point, which is kind of crazy because you think, well, no, 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 I'm actually growing. But if you're not passing it on, think about this is the whole plan for the New Testament, which I'm getting ready to get into, be a pole, 
pursue a Barnabas, train a Timothy. Everything in the New Testament, every part of God's plan was never just for one person to grow alone and do nothing with it. Everything. So whether, and you say, well, I'm not a speaker. That's, that's fine. There's audiovisual. There is pantry. There are Bible studies. There are small groups. There are, there's a cleaning team. There's children's ministry, student ministry. There's music ministry. There's outreach. There's so many different things that you could do to be a part of something that says, hey, I'm a part of something that's way bigger than just me. And it helps you too because sometimes when we get caught up in our worlds, our worlds, and that's not derogatory anybody, but sometimes our worlds just kind of collapse on us and they get really small. And it happens because, you know, we got car problems and house problems and job problems, financial problems. We just start to get to the point where everything is just our stuff. And when you begin to serve in a ministry, you start to get an expanded view going, that's right, there's really broken people in here in this world, and, and I can make a difference in someone's life. And you know what? These issues that I've been so frustrated with, there's been some things happening in my life that it's annoying the fire out of me. But I walked in tonight, and my brother-in-law said, Rawl said, hey, how you doing? And I looked at him, and I said, the things that really matter are going excellent. And it's just about that perspective of like, hey, I could sit and tell you some stuff that's really annoying me, but at the end of the day, I'm a part of a great church. I have a nice house and a beautiful, healthy family. Uh, God has forgiven my sins. I'm walking with him. We have a great weekend coming. You know what I'm saying? So the things that really matter are great. It's just this other side stuff that'll work itself out. You know, so this is what I'm saying that you, you, when you start to minister in different ways, you just, you get this expanded worldview of, wow, the world's a lot bigger than my own situation. So be willing. If we're unwilling in any area of service, the Lord may not present greater areas. Kind of like if you can't be faithful with the little things, how can I trust you with more? Um, and so be active is the second thing. The exercise of one talent, gift, or ability will lead to the discovery of others. If you say, I want more gifts, be faithful in the one gift, and I'm telling you, God's going to start to reveal other things for you. Take a look at Philip from the book of Acts. First, guess what? Philip, what we know him as in the book of Acts, Acts 8, taught away to Samaria, leaves that city. He goes and, he, and, 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 and he's preaching and he, he's got a, a, just a, a citywide revival and God's using these great things. He becomes known as Philip the Evangelist. But guess what? Two chapters before that, he was a servant distributing relief goods to a group of bickering women. I mean, imagine if I got up tonight and said, hey, folks, we got uh, some women in the church. And I'm only saying women because it's biblical. That's the way it happened is not a knock on women. But I say, hey, we got a group of women that are fighting and stuff. Who wants to volunteer to help them settle their issues? I don't think that a bunch of guys are going to be like, yeah, yeah, pastor, I definitely want that job right here. I think I could do that well. Y'all be doing this. I mean, you know, the old thing, if I don't make eye contact, then I'm invisible. They don't really see me. No, but that's where Philip, the great evangelist, he starts out in Acts 6-5. Distributing relief goods to bickering women two chapters before he's preaching a revival where people are being filled with the Holy Ghost, blind eyes are being opened. He gets caught away. He goes to the middle of the desert to a eunuch. Okay, this is, this, before that, he was faithful in the things that, well, I just, nobody really wanted to do that. <laughs> See, the last thing, third, be aware Learn to recognize a need and ask God to, be, to allow you to be the instrument. How many of you have ever walked anywhere around this place and saw a need? What often happens is either A, we just forget about it. B, we pray of the Lord of the harvest to send someone. <laughs> C, the monkey on the back, we throw it on pastor's desk and say, hey, just wanted to let you know. <laughs> hey, this is not my church. It's God's church, and he entrusted it to us. Us. 
And so, hey, take ownership. Take ownership. Be aware when you see something. Be aware of what your church offers. Grab that welcome booklet. Look in this binder and say, hey, I bet you're going to see things. I didn't even know we had that here. There's ministries that aren't really being offered right now because we don't have qualified people that are passionate about it. Now, I'm not guilt tripping anybody, but if you look in there, you might say, hey, there's some things that I would love to do. And if you've worked with me at all, you come to me and say, hey, I got an idea for this. Anybody who's done that can laugh right now and know that I will say, awesome idea. What do I need to do to help you out and get that thing up and running? I am not a thumbs-on person. Hey, I will empower you to do whatever I can do. Anything I can do to help you, I will do it. Why? Because God speaks to different people in different ways. And so you know what? This ministry descriptions binder that you might look through here before you leave, this is not the all-encompassing inspired word of God. These are things from my pea-sized brain that put together a booklet, and there's a hundred ministries that have not even yet begun to be birthed because they're, I, I just can't even understand them or think about them. There are some of you that have ideas for things that could be successful in this community that you're just like, oh, it would never work. Oh, I don't really want to talk to him. Thank God that Sister Tessa said, hey, what about a singles group? I want to start this. And what did I say to Sister Tessa? <laughs> I said, great, give me the details. What do you want? To, what do you, yep, let's get you up and cast the vision. Why? Because I think that's worthwhile. Because I want people operating in their giftings and areas of their passion. So many will say, I wish I had done more for today. I wish I had more to do for Jesus. Now, with a church of people involved in ministry at over 80%, you probably don't have a lot of people saying, I wish I could do more or did more. But right off the bat, Jesus has called each of us to every single one of us. Now, some of us have been called to be praise singers. Other of us, uh, not so much. He said, make a joyful noise. Some get to make it in the microphone, and some were just going to say, hey, brother, that's fine. You just stay right back there. Yeah. <laughs> that's because we have different giftings. We have different callings. Okay, some of us, you know what? We're called the children's ministry. I sometimes see my, my mother-in-law down there with 12 four-year-old boys or something, and I'm thinking, for the love of everything holy, I can't imagine how you get anywhere in this room. I, I, I can't fathom trying to teach 10 or 12 four-year-old boys. <laughs> That's not my gifting. <laughs> She's like, some days I wonder if it's mine. But he's called everyone. We might have different areas. But one area where we've all been called to the exact same thing. You know what that is? To be a witness. That doesn't exclude anybody. We can talk about children's ministry. If I said we're doing a children's ministry seminar right now for the next 30 minutes, half you would leave. Because you're like, hey, that ain't my thing. But every one of us is called to be a witness. The word evangelism comes from the Greek word that means to proclaim or to share the good news. What is the good news? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. But the good news is not the good news to those who never hear it. Scripture after scripture makes it clear that we are called by God to share our faith as a witness. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, or 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and spoke to them, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We know the name is Jesus. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. That's why it's called the great commish and not the great mission. Because I'm not doing it by myself. He says, I'm with you to the end of the age. So guess what? That's a co-mission. We're doing it together. When I walk up to someone on Saturday, I say, hey, Come check this out. We would love to have you. I am not just saying, I'm earning brownie points of Jesus. I'm on this mission. This is a co-mission. I'm doing the work of the king with him. 
That's what I'm doing. I'm not just trying to annoy someone. I'm trying to offer someone hope uh, that they can experience something. They've never experienced that before. And so what a great time to do it when there's thousands of people sitting there waiting for me to put something in their hand. You better believe I'm going to do that. Why Jesus came, he tells us in Luke 19, 10. It says, the, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. So he didn't just come so we could come to church. Yes, that's great. Church is biblical. Worship, corporate worship, assembling of ourselves. Yes. But he's saying, hey, the reason I came is to seek and save the lost. And so people often mistake what the Bible is encouraging and what it's centered around. Many think it's about men or women that are supposed to pursue God. But God's been in this pursuit of humankind he wants people to know him. He wants to reveal himself to people. Well, we are the conduits of him doing that. But then we see him ascend into heaven and after his resurrection. He doesn't just say, I came to seek and save the lost. He says, hey, hey, now I'm giving you the commission to go teach people, to go make disciples. And that's why Paul later in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, he says to the church in Thessalonica, hey, we were put in trust with this gospel message. I mean, you think about that. If I said, hey, I'm going to give you my phone. Can you hold on to it? It's, it's unlocked. I'm going to trust you with it for a minute, okay? Well, I'm saying I, I entrusted something to your care. Noah, the mechanic, offers to help us with the van. Well, I could, I could have said, bro, I'm not giving you the key. I don't really know too much about your history and stuff. You take this van and go sell it for parts. <laughs> I mean, that sounds foolish, but guess what? If you were a first-time guest tonight and you walked in off the street, I wouldn't give you, and you said, hey, bro, I'm a mechanic. I'll help you out. I wouldn't give you the key to the van because I don't, I don't trust you. But I said, I'm putting you in trust with the van. This is what God did. He gave us this gospel, and he says, I'm, I'm, I'm entrusting this to your care. And so the gospel message is not the good news until someone realizes it even exists. Well, how are they going to realize it exists? A lot of people say, well, for preachers and teachers and those other people, no. We've all been called to be a witness. And a lot of times people, you get this, this vision in your head of what it means to be a witness, and it's so, so mixed up and messed up. And a lot of that has to do with, with, with us and churches across America throughout the years. Because a lot of people, we think that witness, what do you envision when I say witness? Typically, you'll find, like if I say, hey, guys, we're going to do outreach. We all need to witness this week. And like people's palms get sweaty. And they're like, oh, no, he's going to make us go to Walmart and hand out cards. And we have to go and we have to go lay hands on people's foreheads on their doorstep. And I have to shout in people's face. I have to get a megaphone and go downtown and say, Jesus is coming back. Where are you going, heaven or hell? And you're just like, ah, and like people are just freaking out. And that's why I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. For the voice of our Assistant General Superintendent, Brother Stan Gleason, who we have right next door, who is traveling across the world in his position, preaching and teaching his message of making disciples, because that is the biblical method. It's the biblical pattern. Listen, you, we are sowing seed, and we will never stop sowing seed. We're doing this prayer. We're doing all this. But guess what? If we handed out 5,000 cards to strangers... Versus if you handed out 50 cards to people you have a relationship with, you will have more people in this church building as a result of the 50 people you know than the 5,000 you handed out to strangers. Now, why do we do that then? Because you know what? Even if we can just get, if one family walks in, we've done, we've done something. And there's a law of sowing and reaping too. I'm telling you, we've done these hope group outings, and you know, we've never had one person, some great stories, but we've never had one person sit in a pew as a result of a hope group outing. But every hope group outing we've ever done, within like three services after, someone walks in the street, off the street, and how'd you hear about us in some random, strange way? 
It's because you, you can't invest in the kingdom of God and not have God operate in some way, shape, or form. And so, what am I saying? The New Testament plan, you see it. He says, hey, I'm going to train you guys. I came for this purpose. Oh, I'm ascending to heaven. Now I'm telling you, hey, I invested myself in you. Go teach people, and you go make disciples now. So what do they do? They go out, and they go teach. What does Paul do? He gets next to Barnabas. Barnabas disciples Paul. Paul goes walking along, preaching a gospel message, starts to find Timothy and Titus and other people, and he starts discipling them. Be a a Paul, pursue a Barnabas, train a Timothy. Everything in the New Testament was being discipled, turning and discipling someone else. You say, well, I'm not ready to disciple someone. If you've repented of your sins, you can disciple someone on how to repent. You don't have to be a finished product, which none of us ever are. If you think you're a finished product, you still need discipling. But we can get to the point where, you know what, hey, I've discipled you long enough, so you know what? Are you appreciative of what, what, what I've done for you? Absolutely. Well, great. How about Brother James? Why don't you now turn and begin to disciple Brother James? And he goes and says, hey, Brother Chester, hey, man, I noticed that you know, you're really hungry for God. And, and let me give you my number. I would love to try and get together with you once a week. If we just grab a cup of coffee or something or just, you know, I just, uh, any questions, you know, feel free to contact me just to open that door. I'm not saying, hey, do three three-hour Bible studies three times a week. And no, it's just about letting someone know, hey, I'm here for you. I'm going to check up on you. I'm going to walk with you. I, I, I'm the person you can contact if you have questions. It's discipling someone. But when does that discipleship process begin? It begins, if you can make a friend, you can make a disciple. It starts with just finding someone that says, hey, I'm going to begin to to get in your life. I'm going to begin to to invite you over and and, and let our kids play together. We'll go grab coffee. We're going to do a baseball game. Or we'll go do something together that that begins to to incite interest. And and we begin to build a relationship. And and you know what? And and I mentioned Brother Gleason. He has a great story that he told at the North American Missions Conference when he was talking to church planters. He said that here he had his neighbor that he lived next to for years and years and years years and years. And all they ever did is walk to the mailbox, hey, how's it going? Chatted a little bit. And that was it. And all of a sudden, one day, the guy comes and he says, hey, I got some questions about what you believe. Brother Gleason said, hey, well, absolutely. Well, shoot away. What, what are they? Well, long story short, he teaches them a Bible study. The man gets baptized, filled with the spirit, going to the church. But that's the thing. How, so often we're thinking like the only effective witnessing tool is walking up to a, someone on your job tomorrow and saying, hey, pastor preached a message. Will you come to church with me this week? And there's going to be times that I think when there is a special service and you've been talking to someone at your job and they have kids and stuff, you say, hey, just wanted to say something. I know we've talked about church in the past. But we have a great children's ministry service. You got to bring the kids out. We're going roller skating afterwards. Here's a, here's a postcard. Hey, just, just invite them. But if you just said, hey, uh, you know, welcome. Your boss says, hey, this is Jim Hamilton. Jim says, Teresa's a new employee here. Hi, Teresa. My name is Gary. Will you come to church? I mean, like, you don't have to do that. That's not the only method of discipling someone. It's just beginning to build a relationship. It's beginning to, to, to realize that, hey, instead of just focusing on my schedule and my time and my problems, that I'm looking outside myself and I'm saying, God, help me to see this world the way you see this world. That I can see opportunities for people in need and people that are hungry or hurting. Lord, open a door for me. And so he gave us power to do these things. And so just, again, be patient, but also don't just settle in. It's, again, that balance of saying, hey, I want to find someone that I'm going to begin building a relationship with. Because eventually, I do want to see that person loving God and serving God right alongside me. But I'm also not going to get so impatient that I, well, I've talked to them twice on the phone now. I don't know why they're not coming to church. Well, no, just take some time. People, I I read this uh, uh, post in in a book I was reading. People are not looking for a friendly church. Got your attention? People are not looking for a friendly church. They're looking for a friend. Let that sink in. In this day and age, people are not looking for a friendly church. They're looking for a friend. 
And if you're willing to make that investment in someone and let them know, hey, I'm here for, I truly care about you. And it's not just to try and get you to do what I'm asking you to do. They're going to they're gonna come. They're going to be open to the things that you have to say to them. See, and the greatest testimony you have is living that changed life in front of them. Living in a way that when they look at you, they're like, man, I want to be like that. You know what? I want my kids to be like, like Keith and Lori Green's son. I, I, want, I want to have a marriage like James and Sarah Chester. I, I, I want that. I want to be positive, and, and I want to be encouraging like Sammy and Lisa Dillback. I, I mean, because they just seem like, you know, I mean, that's, that's the type of thing. If we live that, people are saying, I want someone to look at me and say, hey, I want what they have. And that's where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. That's where I'm going to be teaching in two weeks a lesson that wasn't even a part of this original series, but it got birthed through just life, and that's a lesson on internal holiness. Before we go into anything external, see, here's the thing, and I'm getting ahead of myself. Women, a lot of times, can wear their holiness on their outside. Men, you can wear a suit and tie and look all nice and put a smile on your face and not be anything close to holy because of what's on the inside. So we're going to do a whole lesson on internal holiness. But see, I want someone to look at me and, and they're curious and they say, man, I want what they have. Why? Because I'm the light. The Bible says, Matthew 5, verse 14, it says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hid. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp's placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. <laughs> the Brother Court Chavis at Men's Conference had a great point. He said, how many of you paid your electric bill last month? Okay, some of you are living in the dark. All right. Well, we could take him an offering. He says, how many of you paid your darkness bill? You don't pay that. Darkness. Light overcomes darkness. Darkness is just there. Light overtakes it. You got to pay for it. There's a price. Well, hey, listen. Oh, we live in such a dark world. The world looks so dark. Hey, just be a light. We could turn off all of these lights right now. And I could flick a little, little lighter. And you know what? You say, well, that doesn't do nothing. I don't light up the room. Yeah, but when you're hungry enough for light, you'll know exactly where to go. This whole room could be pitch black. And all I got is this little lighter. But when you're ready, you'll be able to find exactly where I am. Because the light, no matter how dim or how, that's why we want to get brighter. But light overtakes darkness. Amen? And so, I want to be a witness. I, 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 want, I want the world to look and say, hey, too often, too often though, we say the lost world. And you know what? That's so big. Let's go reach a lost world. You're like, why don't I walk on water tonight too? But before that, let's just think about our state. Or how about just our city? What, the city of Liberty got about 34,000 people? Well, we got about 100 out of 34,000. I think that we have a huge, I mean, like, even that is like, well, heavens, we're never going to get there. So let's not start there. How about let's start right here? You hear me say this a lot. Every single one of us has four categories of people. Friends, family members, neighbors, and coworkers. Friends, family, neighbors, coworkers. Then we can say, you know what? Hey, I can invite, if, if you have family in this area with youth or children and you're not inviting them, that's ridiculous. Well, you just told us to develop a relationship. Well, if you don't have a relationship with your 
child or, or uncle or niece or, I mean, like, hey, you, they already know who you are. I mean, there's nothing wrong with just saying, hey, we got a special service. Come on out. Now, if it's a coworker and you've never talked to him, don't be the first thing. Don't, I would say don't have the first thing out of your mouth and be an invitation to church. But begin to be intentional about, okay, God, let me be a shining light. Sure, there's darkness, but God, let me be a shining light. Open a door for me, God. Because you know what? When we talk about reach, let's go reach the world. That's too overwhelming. Well, let's just reach the state. That's too overwhelming. Let's go reach 34,000 people in the city. That's too overwhelming. Just start with reaching someone in my circle of life that I connect with and touch on a daily basis. Let's start there. Oh, we're talking about all these ministries. Yes, on any given Sunday or Wednesday, there are a number of ministries. Some of us, we walk in and walk out. We don't think about how much work has gone into just tonight's service. There's people on audiovisual, people down in nursery, people, my wife working with kids choir. Next week, there's going to be someone in King's Kids. There's youth pastors, youth leaders working downstairs. There's people who sang tonight up here, played musical instruments, and they practiced in order to know that song. There's people who are ushering and greeting you at the door. There is so much that goes in on a Sunday. There's a VIP breakfast and a team comes early and starts cooking at 7.30 in the morning and setting up a room. There's so much that goes on for in kingdom-minded people. But if you say, well, I just haven't found my niche in that, the niche you need to find, and that's the thing that everyone's called to, is we are all called to reach disciples and to make disciples. So we have to say, am I reaching, teaching, discipling? At all times, we should at least be doing one, reaching, teaching, discipling. Praise God. Someone needs to hear your testimony. My testimony's insignificant. Really? I mean, are you going to tell God that? There's no such thing as an insignificant testimony. Because if you've gone through the dirtiest, terrible sin, you're here. If you, well, I've never been a drug. I've never been drunk. I've never even tried drugs. What a testimony. How about what God's kept you from and how he's allowed you to be raised in a good, solid family? Not everybody has that. Your testimony is not insignificant. Don't ever say that. God's calling every one of us to be a witness. But like I say, uh, there are specific ministries in the church, and each of us has a different call and a gift. Now, the witnessing, he's called us all to disciple, to make disciples. Go make disciples. There's not a specific ministry that I say, all right, sign up. When you come in the church door, I need five names of people you're working on right now or you're not being dismissed. Like, okay, that's crazy. So that's really between you and God. But these ministries, these ministries that, that I just began to list and the things that go on, that, hey, there are, there are areas where your personality and gifting would be perfect. My goal, vision, responsibility, and privilege is to communicate with each of you to find what your passion is and where you feel called to be plugged into a specific ministry so you can pour out and not be the Dead Sea. Amen? So as we wrap up tonight, I wanted you to know that, hey, this, this even this, just, just, you know, if you look through it tonight, just feel free to tell me, like, Pastor, that's amazing. That looks awesome. And, you know, I mean, this is only hundreds of hours of work. So, so, I mean, I won't be offended if you just tell me, like, how awesome it is and how clear it is and how nice it is and professional it is. So I just, just wanted to tell you that. Um, it's all right. It's all right. You guys, I'm, you, can, you, can, you can laugh. It's okay. That's a ministry descriptions binder. And I said, hey, just because it's not in there doesn't mean that it can't be a ministry. These are just different areas. And each uh, ministry, as in I'm closing, each ministry has three different levels. It is a volunteer, a ministry director, or a department head. Department heads, there's very few. It oversees an entire department, everybody. So like in... Uh, in uh, um, 
and children's ministry. Well, all the different nursery and children's ministry and all the classes and stuff will answer to that children's ministry director, guest relations, first impressions team, ushering. They, they will answer to this. So if somebody doesn't show up for the front door, I don't go find, finding out who's the person on for the front door. I just go to Brother Caesar and say, hey, Brother Caesar, man, your, your, your person at the front door didn't show up. And he takes care of it. Because why? Hey, we're set for long-term growth here. Okay, and so there's a ministry director that says, I just said, hey, children's ministry director, department heads here. Well, then this person in nursery, Sister Ginger oversees. Thank you, Sister Ginger. You downstairs. We love you. Um, Sister Ginger, she oversees the nursery. So she schedules nursery, has meetings for nursery. If she has a question, she talks to Sister Schiltz. And so they, and, and then if you say, I want to be a part of nursery, you talk to Sister Ginger. And a volunteer is one of the people that goes on rotation in the nursery. So these, these different levels of leadership. Now, you can't sign up tonight and just say, hey, I want to be a department head because that's something that is proven service and see the way you handle people. And so there's a process. But I'm inviting you tonight that if you're not one of those people that is in multiple ministries, maybe you're not serving in a ministry, or maybe you're not serving, you say, hey, I'm only doing this one thing, I think I could do more. Take a look through this binder. And there is, I try to be as clear as possible about what the qualifications are, what the expectations are, and what the job or the ministry entails, so that you know. And then, if you're interested, Principles for Life. This is a good practical teaching here tonight. So, you fill out your information, and then it's ministry interest one, ministry interest two, and ministry interest three. And you can fill out those three things. What I'll do is I will get that to the, depart- to the uh, ministry directors of whatever ministries that you're interested in. They will contact you, and they will set up a no-pressure trial run where you could check it out and see if it's something you like because we want you to love what you're doing i'm telling you i don't want you being in nursery watching my crying son if you don't like kids okay so we want you where you're passionate amen so feel free to take a look at these as we close let's stand to our feet here And this is great because these are the types of lessons that get us involved and get us in areas where we're passionate. This is what makes us, this, this is a great church because so many people are so servant-minded, kingdom-minded, offering hope in so many different ways and saying, you know what? It's not always convenient to come clean the church, but I do it for God. It's not always come to easy, convenient to come on a Tuesday night and practice music when I had to just rush home for, for, from work and rush and try and eat some dinner and rush off. Ministry is not the easiest thing in the world, no matter what you do. If it's pantry, singing, cleaning, preaching, there's challenges, there's commitments, there's things. But I'm letting you know I am so thankful. If I don't say it enough, and I know I don't, thank you. We have almost 80% of people over the age of 16 serving in some form of active ministry. You are what make this church great. You really are. Thank you so much for having the burden and the passion and the commitment that you have to the various areas of which you reach into this community and into people of this church. Thank you. Jesus, we love you, God, as we wrap up this service. Lord, I just pray that if there's, Lord, help, if there's people serving in a ministry that they don't feel passionate about, then, Lord, God, help them to step out, to find a different area. If there are people here tonight or maybe even listening online who maybe they're not even a part of this church, Lord Jesus, maybe they attend a different church, God, that they would understand the importance of serving in ministry, Lord, and, and coming to their pastor and that church, Lord Jesus, because ultimately this is about the, the, the bigger picture, the kingdom, not just the local church here, but local churches everywhere, God. And I thank you. I pray blessing over every person who makes it a point to just, Lord God, pour themselves into all the various facets of what make your church great, the body of Christ wonderful, Jesus. Lord God, bless this weekend again as we move forward into just what's going to be a busy but very exciting weekend. And Jesus, Jesus' name, we love you, and we're thankful and thrilled to serve you and serve your kingdom. Thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name.